Hey everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Bowles, Site Manager, Emperor, Supreme Lord, Warlord, and Defender of the Faith over at OneFootDown.com. And with me tonight, as always, fellow villains, Jude Seymour and Brendan McAlinden. Fellows, what's up? Hey, uh, I just want to apologize in advance for my cat. He's uh, he's very needy tonight. So if you if you hear him throughout the podcast, I'm not uh, I'm not actually smoking a bowl. That's that's just my cat purring. <laughs> yeah, you don't live in Michigan like Brendan. <laughs> no, I mean I'm just uh, yeah. There's there's no you're in New York. You don't have the legalization. Um, I'm just excited, guys, because. Um, a Notre Dame football player was accredited with an additional stat today. Uh, Dalen Hayes has his seventh career sack. Uh, what with the, uh, the takedown of uh, Mark D'Antonio today is his mom. Yeah, it's just from mama, though. It's, it's, a, it's a half sack, and his mom gets the other half. half. Yeah, right. his mom, so yeah, we'll say he's got 6.5 sacks. Um, arguably the biggest half sack of his Besides uh, Bob, she's got eligibility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a what a job takes down uh, takes down hated Mark D'Antonio, a previous villain, Mark D'Antonio. Um, yeah, it's the reason he 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 had to quit because um, Dalen's mom had a picture of uh, Curtis Blackwell, who wasn't allowed to be off campus recruiting. Uh, sure was showing up bright and early in Ann Arbor to get some breakfast. How fitting. I mean, honestly, God, how fitting for this show uh, when a villain like Mark D'Antonio gets took down by a superhero like Dylan's mom. I mean, the <laughs> defensive line uh, moms for Notre Dame over the years have been absolutely stellar. Mike Elson has done a tremendous job developing defensive linemen's parents. Oh, I mean, it's it's got to be one of the things that he looks for the most in in a defensive lineman in his quality of mothers, because every single one well, of them. Private investigator certificate. <laughs> I, I mean, we're having fun with this and, and we're barely playing Michigan State anymore. I have to wonder how uh, how those bastards in uh, Ed Arbor, uh, present company excluded, uh, are treating this. Oh no! It's a, it's a, it's it's a it's a wonderful day for them. Um, you know, I, I I didn't even check about my podcast uh, stuff today. I, if uh, Valenti had gone on a rant yet? Oh, he went on a rant at the firing of uh, Mark Mark D'Antonio um, and oh, the I, oh, I got follow that. Good yeah, one. that was yeah. It was a, it was it was quality radio. Um, listening to uh, uh, him meltdown over the fact that his program is going to be a dumpster fire for the next half decade. So yeah, love it. <laughs> oh man, that's good stuff. That's a, that's a hell of a way, hell of a way to start off a show. But uh, we are, we definitely want to, uh, to move this along. We have, look, we have got a ton of stuff for you guys tonight. Uh, we got some news items to get to uh, some stuff happening around the football program, but we are tonight. We are, there's no sense. There was no sense of waiting much longer. We had hinted about it a couple of times. This is villains part two. Uh, since Jude wasn't with us, I think it was in the beginning of December when Brendan and I did our first villains podcast. Um, Jude wasn't with us, and that's just that's not fair. That's not fair. You, you want we, we want uh, his opinion, his thoughts. Uh, maybe there's some guys floating around we didn't talk about. We we went through a lightning round and just threw it out threw, threw out a bunch of names. 
Uh, so maybe we'll revisit some of those. Um, but first, first order of business is I want to get to these through reviews. We keep telling you every podcast, look, rate and review the show. If you go to Apple uh, Podcasts and leave a review, I'm going to read them. I'm, I'm not begging you for five stars. Somebody on this podcast might be. Uh, but I just want you to leave leave your more, the most accurate review you could give uh, of us. Uh, and this helps us out tremendously moving forward. Um, and I'm taking the time each podcast to read these because this is, this is that important to us. Um, at, personally and as of the show moving forward uh, especially this off season because i i guarantee you no other notre dame football podcast is going to give you the content that we're going to provide for you uh at least you're not gonna ha- you're not gonna have nearly as much fun uh <laughs> listening elsewhere as you are here <laughs> or frustration or <laughs> eye rolls i don't know so gentlemen what do you say we get to these reviews yeah let's do it all right uh, the first one comes from, and these are all five. There's four of them tonight, all five stars. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, this one is from Fitz Frenzy. Offensive draft review. Found the podcast after the Michigan loss, and I've been hooked ever since. few things about the offensive draft. Brendan has the most balanced team by far. Jude's team will pop off regardless of the O-line play, considering how much elite skill players he drafted. And finally, Josh's T-formation gave me cerebral palsy. <laughs> also, decide keep up the good work and go Irish. <laughs> not, is that a bad thing? Uh, uh, it sounds like it. <laughs> I think be better. Did, oh, did well. he mean seizures? I, I, I'm well, not 100% well, sure. well, Fitz Frenzy, we are no longer friends. Uh, All right. I, I <laughs> love my friend. Yeah, he can be my friend. <laughs> you need some, according to the votes. Oh, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Oh. Uh, so hey, yeah, there's still a yeah, for the uh, for my picks for villains. <laughs> the, we, hey, the there is still a, a solid. There is still a solid week and a half of voting uh, up on the site uh, for our, our teams that we stake drafted. So if you haven't had a chance to vote yet, please go on over there and take care of that. I left y'all a little message uh, the other day just to give you a little reminder, but I'm doing it one more time. All right, next review from CRE 2020, solid ND podcast. Whereas some college football team podcasts take themselves way too seriously, this is a pretty relaxed and down-to-earth podcast that provides great commentary on Notre Dame football. There's some occasionally off-the-wall and unrealistic takes, (laughs) but I chalk that up to a little too much fandom bleeding through on what is an unabashedly Homer podcast. Only downside is that listening to the podcast during my morning commute deep in SEC country makes me miss ND and being around folks who love ND. Thank you very much, CR2020. I'm glad that we could bring a little home uh, down to you down south. That's, uh, that's a nice thing to hear. Thank you very much. All right. The next one from Nathan Coleman, 45. Amazing podcast. You guys are the best. Great podcast for information about Notre Dame football. I live in South Carolina, a few miles away from Clemson, so you can imagine the crap I hear. I have nobody really to talk to you about Notre Dame, so this podcast helps a lot. It's nice to finally have someone who is on the same page as me when it comes to sports. Keep up the great work. Go Irish. Man, we are we are hot in the South. I mean, the metrics bared out. I mean, our two biggest growing markets right now, according to what I'm looking at, is the South and all three listeners that we have currently in Japan right now. We are real hot in Japan. We're big in Japan. All right. Yeah, we got a, we got a serious Japanese market. 
Well, that's good. I, I know we're good. I, well, we haven't had those type of metrics yet for a long enough period, but I know we get uh, get some decent lizards in Australia, though. What up, Down Under? Uh, so we're, we're going to take care of that Pacific Rim. All right, final uh, final review here from Lips Manless. Uh, <laughs> I love the name. Lips Manless. You found the perfect mix. Long-time listener, first-time reviewer. You guys have done it. You found the perfect blend of hosts. Between Josh's passion, Jude's analytics, and Brendan's humor, this is easily the best Notre Dame podcast on the market right now. The point of a podcast is to not only be informed, but also entertained. And one foot down for my money, which is none, is bringing it, <laughs> is bringing it this offseason. Keep up the good work, fellas. Oh, and before I forget, Ua was Ron. Except about the tea. Long live the tea. Long live Lips Manless. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Cool. So now that, now that we're done patting ourselves on the back. But look, if it would have been a one-star batching us, I still would have read them. Uh, but uh, thank you very much. And again, you guys. Get those reviews to us. Like I said, we'll read them. You just heard it. <laughs> Let's move on to some do some real Notre Dame football news uh, that we can riff on a little bit. Uh, first off, Notre Dame's got themselves a. I mean, they still don't have anything official. I mean, even even McNulty still is not official. But apparently, Notre Dame is going to hire Mike Mickens uh, as their new cornerbacks coach, coming from Cincinnati. He played for Brian Kelly for two seasons, uh, and he, he has coached for the last. Two seasons, uh, defensive backs down in Cincinnati, where they have been ranked, I believe, in the top 20 uh, both both seasons uh, in defensive pass efficiency, where the year before he got there, they were like 118 or some shit like that. So uh, pretty solid hire. He's, he's a he's a strong recruiter. Uh, they, they have him in Cincinnati, the city of. Uh, they sent him out to like Virginia, D.C. They sent him down to Georgia, Atlanta. Um, these are all places Notre Dame uh, generally likes to go to. Um, we're, we're doing better in that Virginia DC area. Uh, so, to me, this was a this was a big hire. Uh, they have some pieces on the there at Notre Dame right now, but they definitely are lacking in numbers. So recruiting is big, but just generally, you know, what they have to do with what they've lost, you know, in the last two years with Julian Love and Troy Pride Jr. Uh, you know, th- there's some. There's some development that needs to go on, uh, and with Clark Lee and, and his defense, I, th- I think it's possible. I mean, this seems like a really, this is like an under the radar great hire, you know. I think, in, in my opinion, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, Mike Mickens was a second team unanimous second team All American under Brian Kelly, um, and he was a fantastic cornerback in his own right. And I think, I think injuries took him down. Um, before he could, you know, have any sort of professionalized one, one season in the NFL, but it seemed like his one season he was passed around a little bit. Yeah, was a, a couple different teams. So, um, so I mean, I know, a, you know, I know you watched. I watched. I watch a dumb amount of Cincinnati football because I have a buddy that's. Oh, a, I watch a ton. Yeah, and I remember. Cincinnati I remember making secondary plans, sure. play has been fantastic, but the cornerback play the last couple of the last two years that he's been there i mean marcus freeman's a fantastic defensive coordinator at cincinnati is a great young defensive coordinator um but mike micken's role in getting their secondary in a the the sort of stats that they put up in a league um that doesn't necessarily lend itself to cornerbacks putting up considerable stats because i mean they've played navy which is a plus two because he's had his 
his cornerbacks uh, condition to play the triple option, which is always a very important and underrated thing for cornerbacks to be able to do. Um, he's had to coach up some two and three star players, which is a, an aspect that I like. And a lot of his recruiting, he was sort of the 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 sort of wow you get the the best kids. I mean the the last two classes, he's had his fingerprints all over all of their best their best uh, uh, recruits that they've had, including the 2019 class where both of the kids they signed, the top two recruits, both of them were Mickens kids. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. I think Brendan just alluded to the part that kind of excites me the most, which is um, what, as I understand it, and I, I was listening to Jade Miyunayama doing kind of the podcast tour this week, and he's very excited about the the hire. And, and uh, you know, he, he said that basically when Mickens took over, the cupboard was bare and um, at Cincinnati. And he, and he really um, he really maximized the uh, what he got out of the, the players um, who they recruited. Uh, before he got there, and um, I think it was, I think Jamie had a stat, and I want, I want to say it was 77 havoc plays in the last two years, and uh, I, I might be wrong on the numbers, but basically the numbers were very comparable to Notre Dame for the last two years, and Notre Dame had Julian Love, uh, you know, and who was obviously far and away better than anybody that Cincinnati had. So uh, I think there's a lot to be uh, excited about here. He's 32 years old so there's a lot of there's a lot of youth uh, energy there and um i'm just looking forward to seeing seeing what he can do to to make that secondary better with uh with terry joseph absolutely absolutely so this spring it's you know as as much as i make fun of spring and how pointless (laughs) so much of the things we talk about in the spring uh ends up being uh it is going to be nice to see uh some fresh faces uh, on the staff and see what see what different things they do uh, with the players because there's definitely a need for some development, uh, especially on Notre Dame's depth at corner uh, faux show. All right, um, moving on to another item here, uh, something that was just released today. Notre Dame Navy in Ireland this year will be a 2 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, which makes that a 7 p.m. kickoff. In Dublin, they found a way to have another night game for Notre <laughs> Dame. Yeah, I mean, they 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 snuck one in. Uh, God help all of the uh, Notre Dame contingents that are going to be in that game in Ireland and have the uh, extra time uh, to be drinking and expecting. Yeah, how hammered are you? How, how hammered are they going to be at seven p.m. in Dublin? Good <laughs> luck if. I need to have a Pete Sampson post-game podcast for this one because given Pete's uh, indulgence for libations, uh, specifically the hopped variety, I am very excited to see what happens to him after being in Irish pubs leading up to that game. Yeah, I still haven't officially submitted my request to Vox Media uh, (laughs) to to send me (laughs) over there for that game. But believe me, there is an official request getting sent in. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what, we'll see what happens with that. Got to have boots on the ground, man. Got to have I, boots on the I ground. I hope you get it, man. I'd be, I'd be very excited for you. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that, it, you know, all kidding aside, I don't, I don't think that the fact that it's a night game really will affect Notre Dame one way or another. I mean, I think the travel itself is, is uh, probably the biggest determining factor, whether they play it at 2 PM local time or 7 PM local right. time, I think is, is largely irrelevant. Um, you know, just from a, 
a purely selfish standpoint, I just I kind of enjoyed that 9 a.m. kick at on uh, at in 2012. You no, know, I did too. I did uh, too. So, um, but you know, perfectly fine with a 2 p.m. game. Uh, I watch games at around 2 p.m. all the time, so uh, this won't be this won't be anything different. And uh, you know, for all the beat media uh, who complain about night games, well, you know, they're five hours ahead, so their deadlines are still uh, still pretty good. So they'll they'll have plenty of time. I- I got to tell you, too, what's funny is, you know, you, you talk about that that 9 a.m. Uh, 2012 game. I was on the road somewhere that day, that day, and that was one of my first. And it wasn't first, but it was, I tried watching that on uh, like CBS, like streaming at CBS on my on my phone. Uh, and, you know, this is back in 2012. And let me tell you about that experience. <laughs> <laughs> was a little messed up. Remember how like the NBC app? I don't know if you ever used the NBC app to watch a game before on your phone, but like it would get a little glitch and then it'd have to roll through the commercials all uh, again. Before. Yeah. It, they were all like that. It was the most pointless. They were so pointless. All it was, you just get this constant stream of, uh, of commercials, but uh, you know, it, for just a real quick about this game too. You know, I make a lot of jokes about the night games and all that, but, and, and that's what all it is. But in a way, you're right. This, at least, this keeps Notre Dame and that. And we love talking about David Shaw and the body clocks. This keeps their body clocks around the same, the same wavelength. I mean, uh, it's this first game of the season, so they got nothing going against them before that. But still, it kind of keeps you know your whole mindset and your whole, you know, everything that goes along with this. How screwed up it is to be in so many different time zones um, when you're playing. Like a normal, t- so you gotta wonder, you know, how is Notre Dame, how's Brian Kelly going to, their, what's their schedule going to be like over there in Ireland? You know what I mean? Like, are they going to try to live back three hours just to keep, just to have to keep from adjusting too much? I mean, it's Navy, so it is what it is. Uh, and the good news is, it's not like 2012 where they got to come back right away and, and face, you know, Purdue at home. They do get the week off before Arkansas comes up, so. It, Everything, everything kind of smells like a kind of a good time. <laughs> this feels like a good time at Dublin. I'm going to have to be there. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing I'm curious about is ESPN is going to have this game. Uh, I think this is the first year uh, of the deal with with Navy and ESPN instead of a Navy and CBS or CBS. Yeah, Sports I've Network. never been more excited for an ESPN broadcast. Yeah, I was so I I am so over like everyone knows my feelings about Notre Dame versus Navy. I mean, I've made that if you don't know. I don't know where the hell you've been. I <laughs> I have been loud and proud about it for years. But one of my one of my smaller complaints has been just the absolute sheer boredom of having to go through the NBC broadcast because it's the same shit every year, and the CBS does the same thing. I mean, it's just a constant smattering of shit. And I, I am looking forward to a little. I mean, it's still ESPN. It's not like these are unknown voices, but just a different presentation of of that game. Hopefully. Um, you know, is still is there with the especially with the game day and all that. Maybe they knock all the mutual respect shit out throughout that. God, that's gonna be that's not gonna be a good week to be tuning in all week, uh, gearing up. You know, with game day over there uh, and the amount of mutual respect. Well, but, the, the the point I was gonna the only point I was gonna make was uh, CBS rolled out David Faraday as the as the kind of well, I, I guess sideline reporter for for lack of a for a better term. Um, yeah, that was the broadcast. The- and, and in 2012, and, and I really enjoyed them trying to take a different tack on on kind of the traditional sideline uh, reporter. And he spoke more about the you know the culture and 
and the fandom and, and the stadium and stuff like that. So um, I, I'm hoping ESPN try something similar because I, I don't know who, you know, ESPN's roving Irish reporter is. But, um, you know, I, I look forward to maybe seeing some something that kind of uh, reminds people, you know, that this isn't just a, a typical game. This this is a very much a, a part of a, a larger a series, international series uh, that Notre Dame and Navy have, have become a part of, but is also um, you know, kind of brought trying to broaden the appeal of college football overseas, especially in Ireland. All right. So, gentlemen, uh, do we got we got anything else we want to talk about before before we get into the real reason we're here? Can we uh, talk about that one-time transfer rule? I I know there's a lot. Yes. Of, is, yes. Yes. Okay. Go so, ahead, you want spin it out. So. Uh, the the ACC backed the uh, uh, Big Ten's proposal, I guess, um, to have allow student athletes in football, um, and I guess I guess it will extend to the other sports that don't have this eligibility. I guess back it up a little bit. All sports except for um, football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and and men's ice hockey have allow a student athlete to transfer one time with uh, with no. Uh, one-year penalty uh, where they have to sit out a year um, and uh, the Big Ten has basically proposed uh, making that for all the sports and the ACC I guess lent their voices maybe yesterday or today and kind of concurred in allowing that one-time transfer rule. Uh, so the NCAA said basically that it already had a, a focus group or a study group that was working on um, the waiver situation and they're going to incorporate this as part of their uh, recommendations. Um, it's not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, there's there's definitely some details to be hammered out. Uh, the one thing that I saw that I didn't, I wasn't 100% in love with was that um, teams could block uh, players from uh, using this, this one-time transfer. So basically, um, you couldn't stop the player from transferring, but you could stop the player from, grant, from getting immediate eligibility. Uh, I feel like this kind of harkens back to the olden days of of before the transfer portal and uh, kind of takes away a, some of the student athletes uh, leverage in the situation. So and that rule seems ridiculous at this point, because in this day and age, anytime a coach tries to block a player from going somewhere at all, they are, you know, publicly, they are roasted Do you by remember? the media, by fans. I mean, even I mean, even the. Even if a guy's transferring from, for, if a guy would transfer from Michigan to Ohio State, and if Harbaugh would block that, you would find a lot. You would find a lot of Michigan fans who'd be up in arms about just let the fucking kid transfer. You know, I mean, why? Hey, why make it a bigger deal than it needs to be? And do you remember be, Bill Snyder? Anyway. Do you remember Bill Snyder? Uh, 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 William Snyder, former and legendary, twice two-time. Uh, head coach of the Kansas uh, Kansas State uh, Wildcats. Um, stadium named after him. After stadium named after him. Known curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> but beloved. He blocked. There was a kid that tried to transfer. Uh, Corey Sutton. He tried to transfer away from Kansas State. And Bill Snyder denied all 35 of the schools. Including Division II schools. That Corey Sutton uh, put on the uh, on his list for where he wanted to transfer from. 
Bill Snyder was so butthurt about this kid transferring, and then he comes out and he kept like, this young man wants to transfer. And, you know, the kid came out and said the right thing. Well, if you take a job somewhere else, no one's going to stop you. But, you know, Billy S. was was real butthurt about it. And I agree. If If you leave that there, if you leave that door open, there can be a Bill Snyder scenario where a coach can just decide to – Block and I kind of understand it a little bit. Where if you are, say, in Notre Dame, you might not want a kid to go to USC, but uh, it cuts both ways, right? But there are going to be those yeah. coaches that can. And we, I mean, Amir Carlisle is one we got one eligibility right away, right? Yeah. Did, I thought Amir sat for. I, I thought his dad sat. I thought he sat for a year, but I could. Be no, wrong. he did have to sit for a year, but he was allowed to come to Notre Dame. Oh, I, for some reason, I, I I kept thinking he had uh, immediate eligibility, um, it was, it, off of the hardship that his dad lived in Indiana. But instead one, of transferring to Purdue, where he worked at, uh, he went to, you know went to Notre Dame. But he was using that as the hardship. I, I'm almost certain he was immediately eligible. The the one I remember is Jessica Shepard. Yep, uh, Amir Carlisle was, was granted a waiver by the NCAA yeah. for immediate hardship yeah. waiver. That's and that was the funny, right? Because his dad's coaching at Purdue. <laughs> he goes to Notre Dame and gets the the hardship from USC of all schools, right? And that he was allowed to to come to Notre Dame, which I, I mean, Amir Carlisle was a, an integral part of Notre Dame's uh, passing game, right? And it was, but it was a smart, it was a smart move by USC. Why, why be dicks about it? I mean, I, I that's what I'm saying. I just don't understand why they would even entertain having that rule in there. Because of the PR nightmares that have been going on for the last few years, anytime this stuff happens, I mean, just, it used to be coaches would block all the time, block certain schools, and it, it wasn't it, it wasn't scoffed at as much. But honestly, God, ever since the EA Sports NCAA football mm-hmm. video game stuff happened, and people started really banging the drums about players getting paid and all that stuff, and then you start looking at the at you know, what coaches could do versus what players could do. A lot of the stuff started dying down because yeah, it's unfair as hell for a coach not to get punished. And in fact, rewarded in most cases to take off for somewhere else uh, where a play and a player gets punished. Uh, you, you know, when he tries to make that same, it, this isn't a kid. I mean, we say kids and I mean, I'm, I'm 41. So all these guys are kids to me, but they're fucking adults. You know, you're, they're 18, they're over 18 years old. They can rack up $50,000 in credit card bills, you know, in college, it, you got to pay it back. You're an adult. Uh, you know what, Josh? Me, I know, I, trust me. I know that firsthand. I have a lot of great t-shirts uh, <laughs> <laughs> doing it that way. Uh, but so, you know, they're seeing this, this is one of the ways to appease, you know, as much as the NCAA is fighting and look, this is inevitable uh, sooner or later, you know, name and name and likeness rights are going to be g- given to these guys. But I think the NCAA and these conferences are doing whatever they can to appease the players as much as possible now because Pandora's box finally been open a little bit where they're looking for something. This is this is not really amateur sports. Hold this is up. A semi-pro league. Hold up. To quote yeah. Colorado head football coach Mel Tucker, there is no transfer portal of life. That's what the head coach of the Colorado Buffalo <laughs> Wait, that, are you sure that's? Are you sure it's Colorado Buffaloes? Yeah, yeah I'm pretty he sure. There's no transfer. I think he hit the transfer portal though, didn't he? 
No, he's the Colorado Buffalo head football coach. Last Wait, I check, checked. Check, check your Google news. One, one second. Let me, let me check my Google. Mel Tucker is a man of integrity and would never leave his team high and dry. He's only been there for a year. No way. Let me, let me, let me Google. <laughs> oh. Are we for real? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. But he said that he wasn't going to take the Michigan. He said that the Michigan State. Tra- uh, transfer- tra- where, where, where's oh, he at, Brendan? He's at Michigan State. Oh my gosh! But but I thought but I thought he said, oh, this changes everything. The, the insanity of it all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, just just real quick here. I think it's a it's a good rule putting forward. Some of the caveats in it, I might have a question with it, but overall, just like the the early signing period, and and you know we're not too many years into what the grad tra- I mean, the grad transfer rule hasn't been around all all that long. No. All these things have been have been good things for the sport. I don't see, I, I haven't seen any real long lasting negatives from any of this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of the fears that they put in, which, you know, will happen when someone tries to change something, they'll, you know, fear is always a, a factor that, that they throw in. I mean, it's been better for the sport. I think this is another case of that. And at yeah. least it takes, it takes it off the NCAA. It takes it off this bullshit, you know, nonsense of some guys getting transferred, you know, getting granted eligibility right away for whatever. Uh, and other guys not, I mean, it, it's so ridiculous. At least it adds some transparency to the whole situation. I think that you know the devil is in the details, and and I, but I, I agree with your sentiment, which is every time a, a rule like this comes up, everyone says it's it's going to undo college football, and it it's going to be like the you know the pros and free agency and this and that and the other thing, and and those fears really are never come to pass. So. Um, I think well, they're some, great. They're good things. I think I think with some reasonable um, restrictions, um, that this could yeah, this could make it work. And you know, I think there's there's you know, I, I think one of the ones the, the things the NCA is looking at is is the is the student athlete in good academic standing, and I think that's important too because I think the over the the primary mission is always to educate the player and have them graduate from an accredited university, right? So uh, obviously you don't want them moving around to try to find the right football job if they are not pursuing, they're not moving forward in their degree. So, um, but I think this, you know, this is all workable. I think this is all workable and, you know, I look forward to, I mean, it could be, it could be as, as soon as the, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, 21 season. So it should be interesting. Yeah, I just I know that Tate Martell went to Miami to get his best education. Um, <laughs> uh, so we we are in agreement there. Yeah, you you said that wrong. You mean Instagram model Tate Martell? Uh, yeah, Instagram model former QB one uh, wide receiver now Tate Martell. Yeah, third team wide receiver. Third team wide receiver. All right. <laughs> so with that, uh, we are going to actually take a quick break, uh, and I swear to God, we're going to get to. Uh, talking about the villains of Notre Dame football. So stick with us here. Uh, When we come back, we're going to dive right on into it. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, all right. Now that we there is there is a for me the off season. There's always those those weeks with chock full of little bits of news, um, and, and it's all kind of interesting. Uh, you know, they all deserve their own podcast in, in many different ways, but. We're kind of redoing one we already did. And the reason why is because it's so fucking interesting. Um, so, Jude, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off with you. We're talking about Notre Dame football villains. We're talking about scum of the earth. Guys who have pushed into your chest, pulled out your heart, pissed on it, threw it in the sewer, chased after it, threw a stick of dynamite in it. I mean, just people that have ruined your life uh, as a fan. Uh, you know, Maybe you don't take this as personal as some other people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I do and some people don't. Uh, but Brendan and I have already kind of gone over, you know, our initial list. And somehow, miraculously, Tyler Palco uh, became a huge part of that list. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's what Pitt fucking does, man. It's the Pitt super weapon. I don't know what to say. You throw um, five touchdowns, so, you're going to be a villain. So... You know, give me some of your 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 A list guys. I mean, are they? I mean, were we? Some of our A list guys were, you know, like the playoff committee: Pete Carroll, Jimmy Johnson, David Gordon, Mister Palco, uh, Denard Robinson, Matt Liner, Lendell White, ESPN, Rick Riley, Mike Wilbon. Uh, so, what? Do some of those guys do they fall into your top tier of just pure villains? Absolutely. I think you guys did a, a very good job. Um, I remember listening to this podcast since I wasn't a part of it and kind of uh, being that typical guy who listens to the podcast and is thinking of, of ones you might have missed and, and kind of yelling at you going, when are you going to mention, you know, X player or X coach or, you know, X entity or something like that. But I think on the whole, you guys did a really good job. Um, obviously, Pete Carroll, uh, David Gordon, w- w- uh, Matt Leiner, and is this supremely punchable face would have been on my list, um, too. <laughs> so, you know, J- Jimmy Johnson's also a really good call. Uh, who would you, Ryan, who would you, who would you rank uh, out, out of those guys we talked out, out of those, that list, who would you have there at number one? Oh, that's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, in terms of the in terms of the heart rip out factor, I mean, David Gordon's got to be pretty high just because, um, you know, he really trashed that season pretty nicely in 1993. Uh, one season, though. Yeah. Yeah. One, one season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Pete Carroll, obviously, and yeah. if you want to talk about maximum inflicting maximum damage, uh, you know, I think obviously Pete Carroll's got to be probably at the top of that list. Um, I don't think Rick Riley or Mike Wellbaum deserves uh, that high of a status. Uh, they all they they all they both had their real turd moments, um, but I think Riley's pretty much gone away since making possibly uh, 2012's worst column ever about Notre Dame. I mean, let's put it, let's put it this way: Pete Carroll deserves a franchise where Rick Riley and Mike Wilbon are just like a a really good like like a movie, like maybe that's like a really good straight to video movie. 
Rick Riley yeah. basically just did like an average Tuesday for Colin Cowherd this uh, <laughs> this decade, right? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, he he didn't say. It was because he was. It's because of who he is. Uh, uh, overrated writer from Sports Illustrated, way past his time, uh, saying those words so out there that 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 put the spotlight firmly on there. I mean, you're absolutely right. People like Coward have been were spewing the same shit for uh, for a long time. I mean, uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I, you know, Rick Riley could, for me, could be sw- swapped out for like somebody like a David Haw, uh, previously the South Bend <laughs> Tribune and, and the Chicago oh, yeah. Tribune. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, he probably did, he, he did some damage and people have a, an overwhelming, I, I think, I, I guess I would say the fans I've interacted with have a, a pretty negative um, perception of David Haw. But he really, you know, he really hasn't done a lot of damage since probably 2010. So he's he's kind of become less relevant in terms of the on the hatred scale. But, uh, you know, people still remember him for some of the terrible takes that he had. Yeah, I like the way Brendan, you know, we Brendan uh, did us all a favor here and and went through our, our list that we already went through uh, with our top tier guys. Then we, <laughs> we did a lightning round where we just started throwing throwing names out because there's just there really is so many villains when you look back over, you know, two decades plus of, of fandom. Um, but I like the way that you have it separated out as coach, player, entity, and personality. I think that's a great, that's, you know, obviously it's, it, it, those are what they are, but I think that's a great way to look at it. Like, so Jude, I mean, what, it, I, I like, I like the, the category of entity. Uh, what has been, who have you, who's one of the biggest, Who's the biggest villain as an entity? You know, we're talking like, you know, playoff committee, NCAA in general, ESPN, uh, you know, just like, what are you looking at there? Yeah. I mean, if if I get ESPN, I I get I get Tim Tebow. I get Desmond Howard. I get Paul Feinbaum. Oof. I get Rick. I get Rick. Well, yeah, Rick Riley was oh, with them. I get Will like Bond. Punch after gut punch. Like, I mean, you know, ESPN, I get Mark May. I get Mark May. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Mark, t- to be honest with you, Mark May was playing uh, the one thing that I didn't, you, I, I didn't realize until too hey, late. You, al- was, you also get Lou Holtz, who I, I consider Hol- to be a villain after the fact. I get I, I get Lou Holtz, too. Um, <laughs> be- because, because he wouldn't shut up about, about Notre Dame being good when they were terrible, uh, which just made it even worse uh, for everyone else out there. Well, it's funny because I, I think you have Bino Cook in your lightning round or whatever. And I think if I recall correctly, the reason Bino was there was because he set unrealistic expectations for poor Ronnie Paulus. So yeah. other uh, than that, I love Bino Cook. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Bino Noted Pitt fan like and the, Notre Dame detractor, Bino Cook. Yeah, he hated Notre Dame, but he had a massive, massive amount of respect for Notre Dame and for the institution. And so, I mean, I love Bino. And I, I love the fact that he was able to do that. I love the fact that he was able to hate Notre Dame, wanted Notre Dame to lose, but re, but respected the hell out of him where he was screwing guys over like Rob Paulus, putting the you know the entire world on his shoulders. He was a different figure. You you won't see that coming from too many personalities out there where where they have such like internal uh, you know dislike uh, for a program, but have such a massive respect for the institution. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think ESPN talking heads realize that having a strong take about Notre Dame is is good for business. You know, it's good for clicks. It's good for eyeballs. Um, you know, if you defend Notre Dame, um, you know, then you get a certain amount of 
um, you know, people supporting you, but also a, a fair amount of detractors. And obviously, if you hit on Notre Dame, then that gets spread around like wildfire. Um, I, I had a bad habit of kind of, you know, somebody would say something stupid and I would put it up on one foot down and say like, oh, isn't this this really stupid take? And and to be honest with you, it got to the point where I just felt like I was just amplifying the stupid things that Desmond Howard said week in and week out. And it's just, you know, to be honest with you, uh, Desmond's no better than uh, than than Lou Holtz. He's just he's a he's a bad homer. He has um, he doesn't have particularly insightful takes. And most of the time he's proven wrong. So there's no reason we should give Desmond Howard any more weight than um, than the, the way he already gets on college game day. Yeah, I like you, your take throughout the season uh, pertaining to Colin Cowherd and essentially hot take artists in general, Jude, is uh, you've time and time again sort of harped on the fact that we are giving them a platform when we call out their shenanigans. So just ignore them, which is what they don't want. I can't do that. I cannot ignore. I can't. No, I get that's it. Not a, that's not your DNA. I get it, but you have to understand that Paul Feinbaum's main modus operandi is to say something that makes you retweet you know, him into in a, into timelines of people who don't follow him. You know, but I for some reason I I I really don't care what Feinbaum says. His comments don't fire me up. Like, for, and I mean, I and to uh, to about the same degree. I mean, even Cowherd's comments don't fire me up. I mean, I I, I think it's more of like. I am. I'm expecting those guys to, but it's like shit like that dribbles out of like Tim Tebow's mouth gets me fucking rolling uh, with his high pitched uh, shitty ass fucking grin voice. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, the fact that Desmond Howard has a job and they let they let him speak fi- just fires me up. The fact uh, that he has a job and it's not Rocket Ishmael on that panel makes me so irrationally angry <laughs> because that is a job that Rocket Ishmael should have. And it's it was given to Desmond Howard. I don't I don't understand that. Rocket had a hard time in front of the camera keeping calm. <laughs> he, he, he got a little he got a little wound up, but hey, you know if you're you're that's way he's wound. That well, that's what they want now. They want they want the the hot take sort of uh, bombastic uh, uh, personalities now. But that's today's media, not maybe ten years ago. So. I, I, I don't know. I mean, just sort of adjacent to this, I've been very impressed with how well Brady Quinn has been able to um, hold his poise, uh, you know, when dealing with kind of the slings and arrows of, of Matt Leiner and, and uh, Reggie Bush and to a lesser extent, Urban Meyer over on the Fox broadcast. I mean, um, he's got he, when you think about it, I mean, he's got three of the biggest villains of the, for Notre Dame in the, in the last you know, two decades, even three decades, you can go back 30 years even. He's got three of the biggest ones right next to him, and he is one of our greater heroes. I mean, he is out there battling the forces of evil every week. I mean, so, I mean, you have to, you're right, you actually have to give Brady Quinn a ton of credit uh, to, to fight that kind of evil. So Jude, as far as an entity goes, are you are you just piling on with ESPN, or do you have a do you have a new one? No, I, I mean have... I I think ESPN's I think ESPN's a great pick, but I, I'm I'm definitely open to hearing some more some more ideas. Yeah, so I, let's let's start. Going. I have Brendan some entities. Lo- I have some entities, and I got players, and I got coaches. I mean, I I got the full gauntlet. So when you wanna if you wanna dip into the to to the villainous waters, I mean, every good sequel to a movie. 
um, requires the body count to be higher. So I expect this to be. Uh, <laughs> How big was the body count on Home Alone 2 compared to Home Alone 1? Well, I mean, if you count the number of, of fatalities that the Sticky Bandits should have accrued in that movie, significantly higher. I mean, everything that Kevin did to them killed them. When the first one was like every other thing, in the second one, it was every single thing, including uh, Marv taking like 10,000 volts of electricity uh, to the point where a skeleton was sticking out. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Well, let, I mean, so let's get it. Let's let, it exploded. It was. Yeah. Let's start getting into some of these names. All right. So whether or not they were in our lightning round and matter, uh, let's just start tossing some guys out. Let, let's, you know, look. There, there are plenty of villains out there. So uh, what, what do you got, Brendan? Who do, you, who do you want to bring up? Okay. Um. So I think I want to get this one out of the way because I think it's my biggest villain. And I believe that on January 16th, 2013, Notre Dame suffered the biggest loss of the Brian Kelly era. And that was of course, when Timothy Burke and Jack Dickey of Deadspin um, wrote what started out as a fantastic piece of investigative journalism and then ended up turning into the single most irresponsible hit piece outside of the Duke lacrosse story ever written in American sports. The assertions that they had in the stain that they put on Manti Teo's character and life and the entire Notre Dame fan, like the entire Notre Dame program is the, the damage is irreparable. I have never seen a more irresponsible piece of journalism ever written in my entire life. You get to the end of that article, and they are straight up saying that Manti Teo knowingly and willingly went along with this whole thing and kept up. And that they were 80% sure. And that they were 80% sure. And well, they quoted, they quoted, a, they quoted a, an associate, right? He said he was 80% right. sure. And to this day... No one, you cannot talk about the 2012 season. I, I asked my wife about this. I said, Christy, tell me who your biggest um, Notre Dame villains are. And of course, she started out with Pete Carroll and Matt Leinert and, and the usual. And then she went, well, Manti Teo's fake girlfriend, because that just stained that whole season. Like, I still feel a little bit of just like, ugh. Because of that, because I can't talk about the legacy of maybe the greatest Notre Dame football player of my so, life. Who do you consider a bigger villain, though? Deadspin or Renaya Tuasasopo? Uh, Deadspin. Uh, because wow. really? the reason why I put it out there is because she did catfish him. But the entire national perspective and the way that that story is looked at is because of the way that the media works now is whoever gets the first story out there and sort of sets the narrative sure that's it and they set the narrative and because at the end of that but, investigative journalism they ended up coming out it, the last lines of that article are that he was in on the whole thing and so brendan i just want to push back on this a little bit because i i it, it sickens me to to defend deadspin here but First of all, I I think the story had had news value, so I, I don't I don't I, I don't uh, I agree with them publishing it. I don't I, I know what you're saying about the eighty percent sure. I think that was the irresponsible part. Uh, I don't think the thing on the whole was irresponsible. And I, and I also want to say, right now, do you believe that the majority of people think Manti Teo was a part of that, or that he was a yes. victim? Yes, absolutely a part of it. Oh, I, mean, I don't. Yes. Oh, I don't. I don't think I, I agree. I, I think I, if you I think go people, out, if you go out, Jude, if you I go outside people, the Notre Dame bubble, if you go outside, no, no, if you go outside the Notre Dame bubble, 
to everyone, everyone else out there, the opinion is the majority opinion is, is that he was involved in that. Like that, that was the stain on him. Is that some, because, because, I mean, it was just, it's such a grand story, right? Because of everything that happened that season, Notre Dame going 12 and 0, Manti Teo winning every single defensive award possible, one of the, the most decorated defensive player in NCAA history, coming in second place for the Heisman, which he probably should have won. Looking back at it, I still say, but second, as a fucking linebacker, and you know, it, it was just so grand. So, and the backstory with that, you know, was the mom and the girl or the grandmother and the, and the girlfriend uh, dying, you know, as like catalysts along, you know, before yeah. the Michigan state game going into the Michigan game, these are big moments, huge moments that these things happen that push that story along, push that whole narrative along that season. There are lots of people that buy into Manti Teo having something to do with that regardless of everything pointing to this dude just got duped. They, th- they, no one really believes that Manti Teo was that gullible. I just, I just disagree. I, I just, when I, look, I, 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 I gotta tell you, I have a column on tweet deck that has all that tracks references to Manti Teo because I follow his NFL moves or whatever. And, when people mention Manti Teo, they mention that he got catfished, which professionally, when, when you get catfished, that means you are a victim. Yeah, there, the there are not though. tweets but saying that Manti Teo was complicit in some, you know, look, if he'd won the Heisman, I think you would have. I don't, a, I don't a think lot Twitter is a, is a, is, I don't think Twitter is the hundred percent know all of, of what the atmosphere but, is out but there. Twitter's I mean, 100% I mean, but Twitter is 100% of the you You're talking the, about a guy who's in the league and been gone. I mean, you talk to college football nuts, fans, and that's what they will allude to every time. There's still it's, game day signs that talk about Manti Teo's dead girlfriend. Well, of course, well, there, yeah. of course there are, but that doesn't mean that they think he's complicit in it. I think this is a different, that's a different thing here, which is well, I can, you, can I make jokes, you can make jokes about Manti Teo falling for this for this stupid thing but you but i think it's a completely different thing saying that the majority of people or that no one believes manti was a victim outside the nerding bubble i think i think i think the perception perception in the media has been that he has been a victim but that's the it media. That's not. That's not people. Well, okay. Then you just keep talking about these nebulous fans that are out there. They're not on Twitter. They're just college football yeah. fans, and I don't know how to touch these people because apparently they're talking to you in some unnamed sports bar somewhere, talking about how Manti Teo was was in on this catastrophe, and I don't believe you because I, mean, I think if you were to, I would love to see a, a poll put out. I would love to see a poll put out there and say how many people believe that Manti Teo of non Notre Dame fans. I mean, it would have to be some sort of national poll, but. I have to explain to people, like still to this day, I've I've had to explain to people. There, there will. So, what about this Manti Teo thing? And you have to explain to them that he was catfished, and they're like, "Yeah, but of course he knew." And then they go, "I, you know, the the Deadspin article essentially laid that." And I'm like, and when I described Deadspin, I said that it started off as a fantastic piece of investigative journalism, and by the end of the article, when they're writing things like, um. The sheer quantity of falsehoods about Manti's relationship with Lene makes that friend and other relatives believe that it was uh, Teo must have known the truth. Mostly, though, the friend could, simply couldn't believe he was stupid enough or that Tuasopo was clever enough to sustain the relationship for nearly a year. That is 
almost the ending of this entire article. That's how they end this thing. And the, is, look, the, the explanation of it all, it, it, this will kind of address Jude's uh, qu- question of what, what we were trying to say here. But like, would you try to explain it back then? And, you know, how could he be, how could he have been duped? duped? The, the best explanation, was, uh, I, I don't know who first put it out there, but explained it the best, was that the culture that he, like, look, Hawaii is in the United States, but it is kind of a different world. It's a different world out there. And so the culture that they lived in was a big, was full of trust. Uh, it was a close-knit community, uh, you know, Mormon, Polynesian guy. I mean, just it was a whole different level of thinking and trust. And so when you, when this whole thing happened, trying to explain to people that, yeah, someone like Manti is susceptible to this because he is innocent enough and, and ungullible enough for this to have happened. And the way that the whole, that whole story about them dying took off. I mean, what really got Manti to bind was when, you know, he's when it went from friend to girlfriend over a week, week and a half, you know, it, the, the story didn't change, but the, the nomenclature did a little bit. And so that's what set people off into that realm of, he was in on it. And the only reason, the biggest reason Jude, that I, that I agree with Brendan on the fact that people still believe that he was in on it, was that, again, to this day, if he's brought up to people that I'm talking to, whatever, and I'm talking about people outside of the Notre Dame bubble, which, I mean, I live in Northwest Ohio. You're, I mean, you're out in New York, so I mean, so maybe it's different for you. I don't know. But a lot of the people that I talk, you would talk to about this, n- no one believed that he was, I mean, to me, <laughs> I had to keep explaining it to the point where I just stopped talking about it because it was like I'm just beating my head against the wall. No one's, no one's getting this. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, maybe it, I, am, Arbor, I will. I, I will allow for Gamora, they don't to be wrong overall. But as far as my experience has gone, you know, running this, running a website through all this time, and to people I've talked to and all that, the general, the general feeling I've got from just fans, I'm not, and I'm not talking about you know media or media concepts, has been that he was in on it, and so that's all. That's what I'm taking it from is from that, but most of that was still at least, you know, the last four or five years, it's has a bit of thing. And they're going to have signs at game day because it's a funny thing. I mean, you're going to have <laughs> game day signs are just, you're just trying to find anything to get onto that TV and, and to be funny. So and man, I tell you, I was that ultimate low hanging fruit. See that. That's so, I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think it's funny. I think it's incredibly sad. And I think, you know, I think, well, in the no, sun- I mean, but they do, but they think it's funny. Other, oh, I understand, but I don't think Notre Lame. I don't think Notre Lame is funny either. Like, I, there's there's jokes that are that are well trod that are low hanging. Right, but I'm not, we're not talking Rudy about how you feel about it. We're talking about how other people feel. About no, but I'm just at, at what at what point is 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 no one laughing at that joke anymore? You know, uh, what I mean? when it ret- when when it comes to Notre Dame, never. <laughs> when touchdown Jesus crawls off the library, and we all uh, get. I'll put on the judgment scales. I mean, there's That's nothing good. less funny than Rudy was offsides, and they still no, go. And Notre Lame is maybe, still, like you said, the it. lamest it's, pun I've ever heard. And it, and, and making fun of off. Lou Holtz's lit, lisp, like literally, the guy has a speech impediment, and you're making fun of that. I mean, yes, uh, they will. They will. <laughs> I, I mean, I we don't find it funny. We find it, you know, old and over. I mean, I'm into whatever kind of comedy, and uh, even if it's towards us, if it's funny, it's funny. All the shit's overused and, and, and just it, it's it is lame. 
but other fans dig right down into it because that's what they got. Because by and large, people are just morons anyways. You know, especially the people showing up with the sides on that. They're just doing what doing whatever they can. No one, no one is that funny or original. There isn't like you know, five hundred people in the crowd that are full of just funny quips. They're gonna no, reach into the back. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean so I mean, yeah, of course we're not gonna find it that way, but other people from other schools and other fan circles are are gonna see it totally different. And that I, that's where I'm coming from. I guess my last point is in set in the seven years since, I feel like a a lot more has been understood about catfishing because of what happened with Manti Teo and maybe because of the MTV series or whatever. Yeah. And I and I think that's helped in the seven years since. And and the fact that that Manti hasn't done anything that to annoy people for different reasons um, that have have allowed people to maybe people who thought that he was in on it. And, and to be honest with you, when it first came out, I wasn't 100 percent sure. I was definitely questioning it. I was thinking, how could he not have known? I, I had that same exact reaction that a lot of people uh, had or whatever. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people may have come around on this. And I I, I think that the perception of him is. As is as a victim, not as a as a perpetrator. Okay. If you don't think <laughs> Deadspin's a villain, Jude, who do you think's a villain? I think Renai is the villain. Well, no, think... no, no, no. If 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 Deadspin's not a villain, what what sort of entity then then would you? Well, think? I mean, well, no, I I, I want to stay on this for just another quick second because I I think Jude's I think Jude's absolutely right. The biggest villain in all of this isn't Deadspin. It's Renaya for doing this to another person, for for knowingly doing this uh, to Tao, knowing what what kind of what kind of harm, uh, you know, mentally and emotionally you can do to a person like this. That's horrible. That's like supervillain type shit. Yeah, supervillain. And wasn't isn't the story that that Tao got the call during the ESPN uh, award show ceremony? I believe so. Yes. Yes. That about it being a bunch it's, of shit. Yeah. Yeah. About like, hey, I'm not dead. Well, by well, the way, yeah. Lene called and she was she was still alive, which obviously was very confusing. So. Yeah, like during the commercial break, and if you look at those pictures of him during the, like getting the Maxwell Award or whatever it was, or uh, what? The, yeah, the Maxwell is that the Senior Award, Best Senior? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it. it, it <laughs> makes a lot of the 2012 game makes more sense in retrospect too. Uh, was not the man tie that we had seen all season long. <clears throat> and could you be with all that shit in your head, no. knowing that the world is, is going to come down on you. Uh, and, and maybe he didn't realize how hard the world was going to come down on him at that time, but you still knew something, something was going down. You know, you're, you were trying to get a national championship. I mean, you had this massive run and then your next step is the NFL and you got big hopes and dreams there, but you got this giant dark cloud hanging above you. That's hard. I mean, that for someone that, that young, that's hard to, to handle. I mean, maybe that's even harder than a death. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Where, where there's some, there's some motivation, right? Like with a death. I mean, not, not to make light of it all, but like like when Brett Favre's dad died and he's out there throwing six touchdowns uh, against the Raiders that night. I mean, it's just those kind of mo- you can focus and 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 motivate yourself. This is like this is something else entirely. 
All right, so let's move on from Manti. Jude, I wanted to hear about another. Let's talk about another villain outside of Deadspin and, sure. and uh, Renaya. I, I guess one of the things I was was um, I recall yelling at you guys about was I don't believe your original list had Fielding Yost on it, which I think is a major oversight. So well, I, I was, I'll say this real quick. Okay. We we kind of set a parameter for ourselves, and it was kind of a kind of a poor thing to do because in the grand scope of Notre Dame football, but you know, with me, Jude, you know, I'm always talking about, you know, within my lifetime, within my span, I can't, I can't wax poetically about a game that happened 50 years ago. So most of our, from our gotcha. list was kind of like with, within our fandom. Uh, but I, but the way you're out, so I'll let you go here. The way you're going though, absolutely makes sense. And is, is one of the bigger ones. So please I continue. forgot. I forgot that parameter, so I apologize. But to get back to Fielding Yost, for those, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with Fielding Yost, then you can look up Fielding Yost Notre Dame and, and probably get more than you, you, you'll be coming out your eyeballs. But basically, the, the short story is that um, Michigan taught Notre Dame how to play football. Fielding Yost was the coach of, of uh, Michigan. Um, Michigan was a powerhouse in the, the turn of the 20th century. And... Um, the uh, Michigan didn't lose a game uh, until 1905 under Yost, so they were they were awesome. And then come uh, 1909, they lost at home for the first time to uh, the team that they taught, the Notre Dame uh, team. And basically, Yost's first response is, eh, I didn't, I, we didn't care whether we won or lost, which is very dismissive, obviously, of, of the team. Um, he then canceled a a game that was supposed to be played between the two teams um, in 1910, right before the game, claiming that Notre Dame had ineligible players on its roster and then went so far as to actually uh, blackball the Irish to keep them off Michigan's schedule and then also a, um, uh, convinced the Big Ten not to accept them as as a potential member. So uh, actually forced Notre Dame to adopt a nationwide schedule um, to survive because a lot of teams in the Midwest filed Yost's lead and uh, wouldn't play them. So uh, he is a villain. He is also responsible for um, Notre Dame having kind of the the national uh, appeal and the national brand because they were forced to to uh, go in that that direction. Um, so he's also kind of a, in a weird way. He's a he's a well, bizarro Jude, hero. Jude, let me ask you this though. So ha- having having put all that out there. And, and knowing that, you know, just like you, you just mentioned, if he didn't do all that, Notre Dame most likely isn't where they're at. Is Fielding Yost really a villain or is he more like Cousin Eddie and Christmas Vacation? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, he's he tra- a horrible, unlike Cousin Eddie, he is a horrible racist man who is burning uh, in probably the sixth layer of hell. Is being one of the most abhorrent human beings to ever have walked this earth, Fielding Yost is. I mean, he had a hood. He had a white hood in his um, closet, uh, much much like um, Timothy Dalton's character in the hit television show The Watchmen. Uh, yeah, he was a horrible racist. Uh, so he's got that going against him, too, as far as racism. So he's got that going against him. Yeah, he's one of the worst humans that have ever lived. I so, mean, yeah. Yost gossiped that after George Gibb died, that the university refused to pay his medical bills or for his funeral. Like, yeah. I, I just, the level of petty on him was uh, was uh, unparalleled. I really do feel, you know. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I, 
And, you know, I, I guess I, it, to bring it back to what we first started talking with a little bit, Michigan State, which is kind of a funny thing because because that was that was a big beef between Michigan and Michigan State where Michigan, you know, Michigan State was going to be denied entry uh, or Michigan, Michigan was trying to get denied the entry of Michigan State in the Big Ten, right? If they if they kept playing Notre Dame, and Michigan State was kind of like, you know, fuck you, we're pl- we're playing them, and that was that was a big deal. Uh, so you know, people talk about the mutual respect for Navy and Notre Dame, blah blah blah. Look, Michigan State was a big reason why Notre Dame is what they are too, because they still had to have these teams scheduled, and back then Michigan State was a big program, it was a national power uh it just kind of flies in the face of it i mean you just kind of gotta love it right um so did you know that um the university of michigan was one of the first was one of the first schools to allow an african-american football player to play on their university and was george jewett in in 1890 um but then fielding yost became the head coach and then athletic director in uh until 1940 and then his unceremonious death, where he probably died a pauper's grave because of the horrible person that he was, um, he didn't allow another single African-American player to play for the University of Michigan. He went so far. I mean, his father was a Confederate soldier. He went so far as when the University of Michigan went to play um, uh, Georgia Tech in 1932 as an athletic director. And the the rumor has it that Harry um, Kipke, the Michigan's head football coach that followed him, um, he got into a fist fight with Fielding Yost in order to take the best player in the state of Michigan, uh, Willis Ward. And uh, when they went down to play Georgia Tech, Fielding Yost, the horrible racist, um, said, sorry, you don't get to go because Georgia Tech, rather than take the high ground, because Georgia Tech said no African-American players can play on our on our can play down here and uh feeling you know said yeah sure that's fine that's great that's that's fantastic you 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 don't get to play you don't get to travel so um and then when georgia tech came to play uh, in ann arbor guess what he did he said sorry no african-american players f- can play for us either because we're going to honor uh georgia tech's uh, horrible racist uh uh procedures so yeah joe jude you uh you uh you hit a you hit a soft spot for me uh yeah feeling yes horrible person awful villain. i imagine my goodness <laughs> I, I feel like I'm talking to Beto Cook. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had another one that was kind of the, this level of petty, and and again, outside of your parameters of, of in our in our lifetime, but um, there was a fun story that was written in September of 2018 by Jason oh, Jenks. I, I, I know where you're going with this. You know, it's, it's, it's from it's on I, the Athletic. I, this is one of my favorite. This is what that was one of my favorite stories ever to read because. Of the amount of petty, but please continue. So the article is called The Story of Washington's Secret Passive-Aggressive War of Words with Notre Dame. Uh, Basically, this is during the Leahy era. And um, Washington and and Notre Dame played back-to-back years, uh, 48 and 49. And um, basically, uh, Notre Dame won the game in 49, 27-7. But uh, Leahy was all pissed off after the game because uh, Notre Dame got called for 11 penalties and 135 yards of penalty yards. Uh, including uh, unsportsmanlike co- conduct, so he kind of let loose in a in a almost like Mike Bray did with the, after the Florida State game this year. Uh, he said uh, the officials <laughs> uh, the officials today all four of them tried their best to even up a football game. How could it be a good game when we had to play four extra men? Um, and so the next day, um, basically he still hadn't cooled off, and he said 
Uh, the officials did their, their best to protect comp- Coast Conference football, and he was tired of accepting incompetence politely and without comment. <laughs> and um, so basically, as it, ter- as it turned out, uh, Notre Dame learned that uh, Howie Odell, who was the Washington coach, had showed uh, the officials that were about to officiate the game a, a motion picture of the previous year's game in order to point out specific things that Notre Dame was doing that he felt were uh, not within the rules. And uh, and so when Leahy and uh, Notre Dame f- found out about this, there was a, a very funny uh, letter-writing campaign that happened between um, the athletic departments and eventually the presidents uh, of the universities were basically they're just uh accusing yeah, each Krause other. was involved yeah absolutely yeah. uh accusing each other of uh, basically malfeasance uh you know and doing it in the most polite way possible with warmest regards so um i don't want to spoil the whole thing <laughs> for you but basically uh, howie odell is one of my villains for um trying to get the officials ginned up before the game and uh trying to get a advantage that didn't even actually even help him and then uh, obviously accusing Leahy of being a bad sport. So I, I d- fucking love that pick, Jude. I love that pick. Yeah, you should definitely I, read that story. Yeah, oh, that that story was amazing. And I, I mean, honestly, it's a it, there there there's this weird. Maybe it's just kind of karma, right? Because there is this weird vibe between Notre Dame and Washington that you know for as few times they played. Which, by the way, I think Notre Dame's won every single game they played against Washington. Um, where there's a, there's this weird there's recruiting wars going on between the two, uh, the whole thing about Willingham and Notre Dame and Washington, uh, there, there's there's a weird thing going on, and then that I mean that story was amazing. I mean, to well, reading we those also, letters, we also had something about a year ago where Chris Peterson made some comments about the oh, fact yeah. that oh, yeah. that and he didn't name Notre Dame specifically, but basically said schools were trying to poach his committed candidates and. You know, when a when a uh, when a uh, student athlete was committed to a school, that's that's a sign that other schools should back off, and and was very expressing frustration about uh, about that, and it, very clearly that about with the, the Asa Turner, uh, yeah, uh, yep. recruitment, yep. So it's from San Diego. Uh, it's been chilly between uh, Washington and, and Notre Dame for all these years, which I think is really interesting for two teams that don't play each other that much on the field. Well, Brian Kelly sure didn't try and poach Jalen McMillan, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe Chris Peterson scared him off. <laughs> and then he scared himself away. <laughs> maybe, maybe Chris told them to change his cell phone number so Brian couldn't text him. Chris <laughs> couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take the BK battles anymore. BK wins. <laughs> I'll take a uh, Isaiah Foskey over Jalen McMillan. Knock on wood. Uh, yeah. But for yeah, right I now, I will. Uh, I will take that. Uh, all well, day, it, I got a. I got a name that really should set the the world on fire here. That we we had down in our lightning round. And fellows, I'm I'm talking about the one and only Brian Van Gorder. Oof. I mean. Uh, now practice. Uh, yeah, all we have to do is look at that 2015 season. All it's, all of the mouths, malpractice, malfeasance, you name the mouths. I mean, and just the way that, that Stanford game in itself. I mean, regardless of the 2016, the, you know, allowing Texas to score 50 fucking points on us uh, and the way that all went down and his refusal to actually, like, recruit and, you know, a love affair for a former – I love you, Joe Schmidt, but, you know – yeah, <laughs> for a, if you're if you're trying to win a 
you know, go to the playoffs, win a national title. Uh, Joe Schmidt's not going to get you there. Uh, it's almost a refusal to to do anything simplistic uh, or somewhat simplistic uh, because, oh, this guy understands quantum physics uh, blitz packages. Who cares? But, I mean, just so much surrounding Brian Van Gorder and kind of the way Notre Dame football went for that 2015 season and 2016. I mean, look back. I mean, 2014 is like forgivable in a sense where you know, you do have the the thirty seven nothing game over Michigan, which was amazing. Yeah, you got an amazing gif out of it. Uh, but then you had all those injuries mount up in the second half, and so it, it was somewhat forgivable, right? Like, you, like you could like look past it, like all right, if we had those guys, this doesn't this collapse doesn't happen. Uh, but then you watch the way the defense played in two thousand fifteen, and we're talking about. Guys that are going into the league, guys that are making a difference in the NFL right now, someone like Jalen Smith, who has a grand total of how many sacks at Notre Dame? Not enough. Five, maybe? I thought, I thought he had like one sack. Yeah, it? he's only got – that would probably would be the same number of times that Jalen Smith was ever sent on a blitz. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, how do you take, in my opinion, and I think many others – the most athletic linebacker in Notre Dame history and do nothing with him. I mean, th- a guy who, if he didn't blow his knee out in the Fiesta Bowl 2015, could have been the number one pick overall. He had 4.5 sacks, by the way, in his three-year okay. career, which is <laughs> an absolute travesty. Yeah. I mean, put put one Jones. sack in 2015. How, sack. Easy, how, how easy is that for other teams that's not even negative recruiting. That's just pointing out a fact. Here is a great player. Jalen Smith is a fucking great player. Here's what he's doing at Notre Dame because of who their defensive coordinator is. That's not hard. To, that's not negative recruiting. That's just pointing out a fucking fact. When my printer's running out of ink and it tells me that there's low toner, I get flashbacks of Jet Toner kicking a field goal. He had no <laughs> business kicking in 2015. No, he couldn't have been the kicker in 2015. I'm pretty sure that was Jet to earn. Was it Jet? No, to- it was. Um, well, he had a name like. Blank, oh, he had a fun name. Blankenship or blank. And no, Bush. that's the Georgia. Uh, that's the Georgia. Oh, guy. yeah. Uh, the Stanford kicker. Uh, who was it? He had a he had a he had a nice. Um, eh. Well, I just wanted to say that I, I think that North Carolina game in 2014 was the inflection point. I think North Carolina exposed well, that's when it started going down yeah with the, yeah with the flaw and Marquise williams uh current xfl uh quarterback filling in for matt mcgloin for the new york uh, guardians i think that um that one showed exactly what the soft underbelly of brian van gorder's defense was and i i think whereas we've seen clark lee's uh, defense get uh, exposed from time to time it's it's never been a thing where he didn't um, tighten it up. He didn't. He didn't figure out how to make adjustments to uh, get himself back in, in games and 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 not have this be a two game thing or three game thing or whatever. With Van right. Gorder, everything after um, uh, the North Carolina game was just it, it, it never got it never got fixed. And I think uh, you know Max Redfield said it best when he said that the defense was harder to to uh, comprehend than than the Mandarin Chinese courses that he was taking. So that's insane. That's insane. I think think it's all you need to know. 
Jude, let me ask you this. I mean, I really can't talk about BVG anymore. I mean, that's God. <laughs> I'm so glad he is gone. I'm so glad we don't play Bowling Green. Is he still employed by Bowling Green, by the way? I have no idea, to be honest with you. I have no idea either. I don't care. But <laughs> look, I just looking at our, our lightning round. I, I got a question for you, Jude. I, I have made the the uh, I'm not a, I've kind of declared Stanford as you know Notre Dame's second rival at times. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me, and that's okay. It's a disagreeable point. But over the last decade, Stanford has really risen up to that to that level next to USC, uh, especially in place of playing a, a school like Michigan every year, Michigan State every year. Uh, Stanford has filled that void of of the other of the other school besides uh, USC. When I look up and down this lightning round that we that we had. There is a large number of Stanford guy, Stanford players, Stanford coaches, and you uh, didn't you didn't even include the refs that jobbed David Grimes out of David a, Grimes, a, a yeah, touchdown catch. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. There is a lot of they moments in that series. I mean, even Jim Harbaugh is tied, you know, tied and all that. So knowing all this, like when you start looking at this from a villain standpoint, which when you're talking about villains, you would think that you're talking about your you know, a nemesis, a rival. Right. What, do you think my argument has, takes on more validity? Also has an awesome trophy that Brian Kelly drinks blood out of. <laughs> um, I do think of, I think of Stanford as kind of a modern rival. We've talked about big R versus little R in previous podcasts. Right. And um, I, I think that the picks that you have on here, obviously David Shaw is a great pick. Um, Andrew Luck, he was just a great player. I think, I to me, honestly, that was more of a respect thing, um, you know, more so than a, a classic villain, mostly because Notre Dame wasn't very competitive in the Andrew Luck years. Uh, Toby Gerhardt, uh, you know, great. I, I just, I, I don't know. I have admiration for what Toby Gerhardt did. Uh, the thing I thought was interesting was touched out, uh, Toby. There was there were so many Navy players who were actually picked here, Navy personnel. Um, if you look, yeah, touchdown Tommy Vardell for Stanford. But if you look over here, Ken Niamatolo, uh, Ricky Dobbs, Dobbs, Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson. Um, I who, thought of who I, who I have idolized over the last week with my with my T offense. Uh, I appointed to Paul Johnson, tongue wagon and all, uh, as a model as a model citizen. Uh, but is was definitely a villain. You're right, definitely a villain. The other day. One of the ones that, if we're talking about people during our lifetime, um, I, I don't know. If, I don't. Maybe villains is too strong, but Ram Vila. Do you remember Ram Vila? Oh God! How can how yeah, do you so, how, how do you how do you forget a guy named Ram who literally jumped ten yards through the air to zap, to sack Evan Sharpley and and possibly no, you don't forget yeah, that you don't the, forget that the most athletic play I've ever Third seen. Goal. Uh, the Notre Dame running back tried to chip Ram Vila low, and he basically Superman through the air right on top of him and sharply. I, that was, I think it was fourth down. It, this was the overtime game that Navy that Navy won in 2007 to eventually snap Notre Dame's uh, long winning streak or whatever, and, and Ram Vila was a well, huge that, part of that. It's the reason Paul Johnson's on the that list. That play was still in, in regulation. Oh, was that in I regulation? Believe. Okay. I, I believe. I could be wrong, but I... It was yeah, the on play the to end. Section. It just got it was, on the, it was on the student section end because I was there for that shit. Yeah, sitting in the student section, 
I, it was on that end when it happened. And then, but the, so I, I don't know. I, that I'm a little fuzzy on remembering all that. Uh, obviously there was so much going on from that game, but uh, it was on that end. So it wasn't at the, it wasn't the last gasp part of the game. Uh, like okay. when Travis Thomas got, got stuff, but, um, but yeah, God, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll put Ram. Yeah, I'll put Ram in that category. He's not, you know, he's not up there with like a Matt Liner, but no. he is definitely, he's, he's definitely, he's worth, a small B villain, worthy of being listed there. Um, I mean, I wouldn't put, I still, I wouldn't put him up on a category like Tommy Vardell, um, but he's definitely there. He's up, he's up around there. Yeah. So the other one I thought of, um, and this one's kind of personal for me, was the I live about an hour north of uh, Syracuse. And the last time uh, Notre Dame actually played Syracuse in the Carrier Dome was 2003. And so my villain is uh, Walter Reyes, uh, who unfortunately passed away. So, but I thought you thought you were going to you were going to go call out Dino Babers for being a coward and Ah. taking a full call. No, I thought you were going to go Paul Pascal. I'm like, yeah, villains are cowards, dude. I had a whole spiel ready to go on. So uh, Walter Reyes scored five touchdowns, uh, set the single game and uh career rushing touchdown record and and one and one single day against for Syracuse as two at miserable Syracuse, who, who 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 who's been a running back at Syracuse before uh Jim what, Brown Jim Brown Ernie Davis Ernie that's Davis yeah. Oh. yeah so that's a great yeah. that's a great pick Walter Reyes is a villain of mine yeah, because what happened to Walter Reyes after that too? It's like he, <laughs> it was like one of those. I don't know. I, I, I got to find a parallel to like a movie or te- television character of just kind of like showing up. Like maybe he's like the Darth Maul of uh, <laughs> of villains there. Well, I mean, is is Rudy a villain to Georgia Tech fans? <sighs> I mean, Rudy didn't dance on him like Reyes. Yeah. You know? No. Said the one play is is um, Julius Jones a villain to Pitt fans? I think would be a more apt. Uh, why don't you ask your Pitt your uh, Pitt uh, relations? Oh, he certainly uh, he certainly is. Um, that's the reason I'm married to this day. Uh, <laughs> we started dating the day after that game uh, that day happened. Uh, so uh, yeah, thank you, Julius Jones. That, that is the only game I can remember. That uh, that 2003 uh, pit game that I did not see a single snap live. Oh no! It was one of the greatest rushing perform, and for you, did one of the greatest see- rushing performances in Notre Dame football history until Boston College 2017. Snap live that game. Oh boy! Well, that's pretty interesting. Um, I got a villain, uh, and we're gonna go turn of the decade. And we we waxed poetically about Tyrone Willingham being a villain, but we wouldn't have had Tyrone Willingham if it wasn't for George O'Leary and his falsified resume, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, it was – the university didn't – I mean, it was on the heels of the – I mean, you could say Kimberly Dunbar was a villain, absolutely, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And George O'Leary probably doesn't get fired uh, and the university, I don't think, would probably feel as strongly to fire him um, in two in December thirteenth, twenty two thousand one, if they weren't if that whole debacle wasn't ongoing, right? Because there was the ninety nine quote unquote sanctions. Well, um, they were they weren't going to fire him 
they only they knew weren't. About, no, they asked. They only for knew his about one one of yeah. the thing. They only knew about one of the things, and he confirmed it. And they were going to let that go. And then they asked him if there was anything else that they. Like, oh yeah, I made up. up a college. He's, well, yeah, I guess he made up a degree, right? Yeah, he, he made up one of his degrees from a made up college, I think. Yeah, and that's what ultimately ended him. It wasn't so much that he said he played football at New Hampshire and he actually didn't. It was that he made up a degree that he never earned. Yeah. Because he offered his resignation, and then uh, and then uh, Kevin White said, "No, no, 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 I'm good. You can be our coach." You could argue Kevin White's a villain because Kevin White's also the one who decided to extend Charlie Weiss after losing to us. Oh, Kevin White's an absolute villain. Kevin Weiss, Kevin White's an absolute villain because he gave Willingham a six-year deal on New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve, Kevin, they didn't play a bowl game, so Kevin White's sitting there and he's like, "Okay, so Notre Dame, we're not playing a bowl game this year. How are we going to get in on this New Year's Eve, New Year's Day sort of storyline? Oh, let's ink Tyrone Willingham to a six-year deal." Thanks. You know, Thanks. Kevin, Kevin White's also the one that brought back the seven four one scheduling that has, to me, has has hurt Notre Dame's scheduling as a whole. Uh, you know, over, over the course of the last uh, decade and a half, I mean, he was the one that that first pushed. I mean, it wasn't even the Shamrock series. You know, the Shamrock series. You know, you look back at their history; it's got you know those first two games in San Antonio and um, uh, and. In New York City, Yankee Stadium, yeah, 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 at Yankee Stadium, those weren't called Shamrock Series; those right. were just whatever. It wasn't until they played uh, Maryland and FedEx, and I think they had like it was such a half hours. It was just such a thrown together thing that all of a sudden they're called to the Shamrock Series, and it was all based off of people hating on the helmet uh, that they were going to wear uh, against <laughs> Maryland, and they came, came up with this whole thing called Shamrock Series and included those first two games. But, you know, he is the, you know, Jack Swarbrick for all his faults going into it. He was kind of handed, uh, handed the baton uh, for this nonsense from Kevin White. Yeah, Kevin White. Uh, yeah. So you could say, all right. All right. You know what? You've swayed my opinion. Uh, we will take the George O'Leary failure and uh, we'll pivot that if we're going to pick a Notre Dame um, personality. We will say that it's is a uh, we'll say it's Kevin White instead of George O'Leary. George O'Leary still is kind of own. But uh, Kevin White for uh, debacling the entire handling of that, then signing Willingham, and then subsequently signing Charlie. Well, I think, and I, I definitely think this will be a future podcast. Is, <laughs> you know, there, how many what ifs are involved here? You know, with with just, with just that move alone, um, you know, I, you know, and I, I ESPN kind of ruined the whole what if uh, kind of shit. But it is a night. It is a fun topic to talk about because of. I mean, just look at look at look at all the oddities that just happened in the coaching hires we just had this offseason with one move moves in. I mean, it's just this constant moving, um, and you know, with Notre Dame and and kind of all that stuff. There's a whole lot of what ifs involved there. What if Urban Meyer didn't have cell phone reception on his plane to South Bend? <laughs> um, I think that would have helped I- our cause a little bit. I'd like to propose an, another villain, another modern villain. Um, Go ahead. May, maybe you'll think this is a bit unfair, but I, I think it's I think it's justified. Um, I would like to propose a, a woman as a villain, and it, it's uh, Eddie Vanderdoe's grandmother. <laughs> I mean, um, how she, dare she? Have we, have we brought her up before? Like, what? How dare she is get she sick? Okay? Uh, you know, I tr- this is like one of my uh, 
every about every six months or so, I try to I try to do a Google search where I try to find out what's the status of Eddie Grant Vanderdose's sick grandmother, and uh, I I've, I've not been able to yield any information about whether or not she recovered and is living a prosperous life somewhere in uh, California, or if she you were you were going to get passed. a very strongly worded email from someone <laughs> about her passing two years ago. That's fine. Point me to an obit. I'd be happy to share spread it around. <laughs> So I actually hope Eddie Vanderdose's sick grandmother made a full recovery and, and that Eddie's constant presence by her bedside was the difference. You know, it was very it was a very trying period in order for her to get over the corns and the uh, that was afflicting her feet. And Eddie's constant foot massaging was able to alleviate the pain uh, in the in, in her uh, arches. And uh, the, she was able to um, get over the corns. And if he didn't go to UCLA, that never would have happened. So thanks, thank you, Eddie. I just think uh, 2013 season and beyond. Well, BVG would have ruined him. Let's be honest. But <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe um, Bob Diaco sticks around because uh, he sees uh, sees uh, some fantastic things, and then we don't Ben don't break our way to another uh, another fantastic season. 2014, we probably could have beaten Florida State, right? So there's could, always that. Could have only hoped. Uh, Josh, do you do you have a do you have a villain before I bring the elements into this? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I have one, and I think uh, it's uh, I mean he, he and he's brought up quite a bit, and I don't think that we think of him as a villain because I don't know maybe it's I mean maybe it's not entirely his fault, but Ty Detmer, yeah, I, I think is is a is an absolute villain. I mean, he didn't him winning the Heisman over, over rocket Ishmael is one of the, I mean, it, it is one of the all time steals, right? In college football history. It's yeah, right up that, there with Vince Young. That's the Heisman trust voters, right? Isn't that, I mean, isn't that blame like the, misplaced but, on tie? But listen, did the Heisman trust voters throw 28 interceptions in that Heisman year? No. No, but they I mean, said they said that was worthy of, of the Heisman Trophy. I think he hired some kind of witch doctor and cast some kind of weird, dark, magical spell. I think you're onto something here. I, there, there's just no explaining it. He didn't even have the best passing numbers in the country. They had that one win over Miami, and then they had some. They had a couple of bad losses. The motherfucker threw 28 interceptions. Listen, Doug Flutie can poop his pants all the way through a season and throw one Hail Mary now, against now Miami this, and win a Heisman. Was before, this was really before the term system quarterback came into the nomenclature. Like like nowadays, we look at like so, like these stats, you look at look at it, and especially it's brought forth even more so when uh, the NFL draft comes about, right? Like like Patrick Mahomes was a guy that was considered a system quarterback at Texas Tech, right? Because you know, you're in a Mike, Mike Leach system. You're going to get these big numbers. Uh, you know, so he was a system quarterback before the, the term system quarterback. 28 fucking interceptions. Rocket Ishmael was the most, I mean, people younger than us just don't understand how feared this man was. Like, get, entire game plans revolved around this cat. Unless you were Bo Schembechler. There, there, yeah. 
who was who was another villain listed. But I mean, I, I, I even in the era of like Reggie Bush and all that, there was no player since Rocket that when he when that player had the ball, the entire the entire crowd was on edge because what the fuck's gonna happen? You know, it's it's ridiculous. So I yeah, I will throw Ty Detmer. In, into that mix, and as an entity, you could always include the the, the Heisman uh, voting trust. Now, Syracuse fans will will point to 1987 Tim Brown. Uh, you know, there's also I, I think I don't know why Syracuse doesn't point. I, I don't know why they make that a bigger issue with Don McPherson and Tim Brown uh, more so than Paul Horning over Jim Brown. Uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but you know, Ty Dabmer. I mean. The, it, it was one of the biggest jokes that you, I can remember. That's in the same era where, like, fucking Gino Toretta won a Heisman. Which he was a very, I mean, just like Ty Detmer, he was the definition of a uh, of a um, system quarterback, right? Uh, yeah, I feel. I, I mean, a system. I mean, Andre Ware wanted the year before Detmer, so we we really just started getting into the those kind of quarterbacks. You know, a, after Barry Sanders, who one of the most incredible players in college football history, professional football history, you know, then you get into Andre Ware and Ty Detmer and then fucking Desmond Howard wins it at the year after Detmer. I mean, rockets up in Toronto cashing John Candy money. But I mean, <laughs> Desmond fucking Howard, who I, I don't, I don't put on the same level as rocket. I'm sorry. I just don't when it came, when it came to college football. I can't argue so with that. this you know, sounds you know, to me, right after him. Charlie to me, Ward winning the Heisman in the '93 season when we fucking beat him. I mean, it's there is a maybe it is maybe it is more so than Detmer. Maybe this is this this whole Heisman thing gets you wound up. I mean, <clears throat> the latest one, you know, like Troy Smith winning in 2006. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not really pushing for Quinn on that to a lot. Just whatever. It's fucking Troy Smith. Uh, you know, Johnny Manziel winning in 2012. Uh, just gr- Reggie, gross, Bush, right? Reggie Bush winning a Heisman over Vince Young when Vince Young was the best player in America and it wasn't even close, right? Yeah, not, yeah, not even close. So, Josh, I just want to ask you a question. If we were a Syracuse podcast, would you be uh, with Tim Brown? Belligerent. <laughs> you know why? It would be one of the only things I talk about because my head coach is a coward and <laughs> we're not good anyways. So the only thing I would have to to for my skill set, which is shouting and making wild points with my hands that no one can see, uh, I would be going fucking ballistic about Don McPherson and Jim Brown. Um, thankfully, I'm not a Syracuse fan, so I can Tim dismiss Brown. that. With a, well, Jim Jim Brown uh, over instead of Paul Horning. Oh, I see what you're saying. I got you. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, there's two of them there. They make the biggest thing about McPherson, but I think the bigger crime was probably a a losing season horning over Jim Brown. Yeah. Well, luckily we aren't uh, a fan of a, we're not a a podcast for a scandalous program. Troy Nunes is an absolute magician. (laughs) I'll say this. Yeah. I'm glad I don't have to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. So we, we got any more out there? Uh, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that maybe the greatest um, 
villain of the Brian Kelly era could possibly be the rain. Just, just the, the, the weather effect known as the rain. Are you saying, are you saying that the university of Notre Dame? Yes. A proud Catholic institution. Yes. Is their biggest villain is water. God himself. Yeah, it just might be, or it's the devil. Um, it could be the devil, or it could be the tears you know, from heaven. I could take uh, the I could Clapton take song. The Catholic guilt. I could not take the Catholic guilt from Notre Dame fans throughout the 2019 season about the Michigan loss. I don't know if I could take this take. My so, head might explode. So I mean, you remember NC State 2016, right? And I don't know if it's the fact that it's the rain or that Brian Kelly once it starts raining, he gets real squirrely, and his game plan in the rain is just. I don't, I don't, I think it just starts raining and, and BK just doesn't know what the fuck to do because remember NC state, he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just, let's just air it out. Let's just air it out. Let's go air raid. And then he just starts chucking the ball in the rain against NC state. And you're like, no, Brian, no, what do you do? No, no. Um, Clemson, uh, right. Clemson in 2015, same kind of deal. Um, the rain was just the pits and then it stopped raining and we did okay. Um, last year, who, uh, I mean, can we, can we, are we at a place now where we can say that it's probably the rain's fault? We lost to Michigan. Can we, can we say that yet? I don't know if we can say that yet. Can we say that yet? It's just running deep. I can't. Can we say that it was the rain's fault? I, I, I guess I missed the part where it stopped raining while Michigan was playing. No, it didn't. It's just that when it's raining, we just poop our pants. Yeah, that, that speaks time. more to Brian Kelly than it speaks to the rain. No, 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 no. But that so it, it's we can't I mean, so, Brian so Kelly's it, a villain. So is is a wet Brian Kelly is a wet bandit Brian Kelly of a, a villain? As soon as that under armor apparel that Brian Kelly has adorned himself in, is he is just lathered in under armor apparel is touched by a drop of rain it gets it gets it gets wet and wild and somehow a basketball player on your uniform helps you, helps you do better in the outdoors so i'm how not do you, sure how, how do you explain stanford 2012 um how do you adidas explain adidas <laughs> okay um how do you explain adidas, adidas? yeah because it was adidas in 2012 okay um right it's it oh was, yeah oh yeah uh, it wasn't under Armour until 2014, 2013. Maybe? It was 2013, I think. Was it? Was no, 14, it was 2014. 14. 14 was the first year. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. 2014 was the first year. So, uh, yes, I, I, I don't know what it is about Under Armour and uh, uh, their their rain slacks. But, um, no, the rain has absolutely been a villain of Notre Dame in recent years. And you can look at, I mean, what's a, what's a rain game that's gone uh, fantastically well for us? You know I'm going to look this up, right? I absolutely know that you're going to look this dude, up, dude. Dude, dude is the weather man on the site. I, you, I, keep, I keep this. I keep stuff on this. Let me and see here. So here's the important thing, Jude, is I, I need you to know when it's Stanford raining in Stanford, a football 2019. game. 2019. Yeah. How do we play in the first half of that football game when it was raining? <laughs> how do we play? Hey, hey, how do we play? <laughs> I mean, it was pretty soaked in the second half. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't it wasn't raining, man. It it dried out. the 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 sun came out, and uh, uh, the I good mean, lord said, out, "All right." 
I, I mean, we're only counting rain, right? Like not not snow. I mean, did Notre Dame score a touchdown when it was raining against Michigan this year? No, okay. they... it was overcast a kickoff for the Iowa State game, cloudy and showers for the Stanford game in 2019. It did, it did rain during the Iowa State. Chance of snow, chance of snow and rain for the Boston College game. Virginia Tech, let's see, mostly cloudy. Michigan yeah, it, was rain, obviously. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, it sure was. Um, I mean, <laughs> I I feel like it was either my tears or it was the rain. rain but I felt like rain, every game in twenty seventeen Navy was a rain game. It felt light like rain, oh, light, it light rain was. for the two thousand seventeen Wake Forest game. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, it, I would love you to look at their record. I mean, I, I mean, Brendan's got a point. I mean, he has a solid point. I mean, look, we can't dismiss Notre Dame's uh, results in, in big games in the rain. I mean, no. the, the LSU, the LSU um, uh, bowl game, right, was a was a rainy day. Oh yeah, 2014. Uh, yeah, 17. The 17 or, game. Uh, the 17 Ian game. Bowl I'm game. sorry. Um. But I mean, even then, it was. Uh, but did it rain? Did it rain at all for the Music City Bowl too? Um, I don't. I don't, I don't think it did. I don't. I think a very bright day. Pretty dreary. Not a very bright day. Um, but it never is when we're beating LSU. Kickoff was forty-two degrees. A kickoff scattered clouds was the kickoff weather. So yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but was it raining at the time of uh, uh, Ian Book's? Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So no, I, I I have to say that the rain, um, I have it's sort of like a maybe maybe it's just um like a green jerseys sort of deal because you could say oh. green jerseys are a villain if you were one of those people, um, right? One of those people that are are uh, not a fan of green jerseys, but uh, the rain for me, um, specifically the Clemson and Michigan because we did fantastic against Clemson when it wasn't raining. I feel like it rained for the Florida State game in 2014 too. Is that right? No, no, it was. Oh, in 2014. Yeah, the one in Tallahassee. It was raining flags in the last uh, oh, 30 seconds of the game. Too soon. <laughs> which is which is the ACC officials in 2014 is listening. Was our lightning round? Yeah, which is the ACC officials <laughs> were raining whistles down in the. I mean, you didn't even need to put a year. It's just ACC officials. Fucking period. I mean, period. Pick a sport. Fair. I mean, Mike Bray will back you up on that one. There you go. We're in the league two. Come on. You can't no, find I mean, us. Brian Kelly was because he was putting in. Um, he was putting in hold. He was put. He was sending tapes in every week for holds in 2018. That yeah. was wasn't getting called during the ACC schedule. Jude, let me. Let me I want to ask you about one that, uh, that that you haven't talked about, but I, I think I'm kind of teeing you up a little bit on this one because this sure. might be your specialty. Is Tom Hammond a villain? <laughs> I feel I feel like we need we need uh, Ty uh, Hildebrandt uh, an answer for him on this one too. But yeah, I mean, super frustrating. Uh, third and six, and did you know Elver Golson can play Moonlight Sonata on the uh, on the piano backwards? That's oh, something else. Has he, he stuffed for a sack? <laughs> Everett Golston. Yeah. Um, look, Tom Hammond, uh, you know, he birthed the uh, facts that would only interest Tom Hammond. So um, I don't know. I don't think he's a villain, but I, I, I think Doug Flutie's a villain. Uh, 
I'm yeah, glad Tom Hammond, by 2006, he was able to figure out how to pronounce Jeff Samarge's name. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> uh, I mean, Keith Jackson struggled with Samarge's name. That pick came so bad. It was fantastic. I mean, Keith Jackson uh, probably also listed on one of our lightning round, probably a villain. Uh, did not like Notre Dame at, at all. Took great joy uh, in any distress that Notre Dame had. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys mentioned Brett Musburger, but he's the one I definitely remember as taking a lot of glee and watching Notre Dame get smoked by somebody. Uh, I I just think that was the gin. I, 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 don't, I, don't I just really... think that's where his money was. It, it, he took glee only because he had the money against Notre Dame. Yeah, that week. yeah. His, his his was all business. I, I really don't put Brett I don't put, put him in a, in a villain category, to be honest with you. I mean, the more I think about it, it was, yeah, he's, he's got a business. Is this, is his gambling going on? He's ginned up. I'm still uh, shocked. Let, I'm still shocked. No, he let Bob Davey in that booth. <laughs> Post Notre Dame, Bob Davey was in the booth with Brent Musburger and Kirk Herbstreet. What a world. Uh, yeah, there, there's a one if for you. <laughs> Oh man, we've 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 run pretty long here, but uh, that's our there. Look, because the list of villains is long, and oh, this is a personal thing. Anthony I mean, Davis is a villain from for the '74 game. I mean, like, there's a lot of villains. Oh yeah, well, that was like explicitly. Said, we, he he was one of my my big examples of a guy I wasn't going to list because I I wasn't alive uh, the time that he was ripping hearts out. Sure. Um. So, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. These lists are long for lots of people and for different reasons there's different personal reasons uh i mean oh my god i mean you go go ask a go ask any notre dame fan on the street list me five of the biggest all-time notre dame villains and you know you ask 100 people you are going to get you know 300 different answers i bet i'm probably exaggerating a little bit but you are going to get a pretty wide uh wide amount of names thrown out there Jake Fromm's going to be on somebody's list pretty soon, we too, should, right? We should stand outside the bookstore one of these times and just do a random poll like this. I, I would I would love to hear what the answers are. So, All right. I, I bet you some old-timers would definitely go Anthony Davis. Jude, Jude are, you, uh, yeah. are you coming up for a game at all this year? I am not, but I, I, I would love to. Uh, well, why, did, love why, to... Did you, why don't you why don't we, why don't you change that and <laughs> come, up for, come up to the Arkansas game? Uh, so it's good weather. We're, we're not out there cold. Uh, and let, let's just fucking walk around and, and with a video camera and let's just, let's go ask some people a bunch of shit. Brendan, I, let's do I it. Mean, I'm, I'll make the trek. Uh, it's not, it's not terribly far for me. Are you, are you saying come to the Arkansas game? Yes. Yeah. I'm saying come to the Arkansas game. Let's, uh, I wish we could afford blazers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I could get like, some shirts printed off. I could I could graphically design us some sort of shirt that we certainly could have uh, for this game. I, uh, I, we could stand I out front of the bookstore. I think uh, I think the, the best thing about that my idea. Just thinking about this, I was just sitting there laughing, thinking I'm going to go up to the press box, dressed normally like I would, and undress into <laughs> take off my my shirt into a cut off tee. Uh, which is more appropriate for me and my personality, and go hit it <laughs> out there. Let's go talk to the fans. 
<laughs> now, when you say a cutoff tee, you mean like abs are showing or? No, no, I, I, I quit wearing the, uh, the, the, uh, the midriff cut shirts, uh, some, sometime in, uh, in my college days. When uh, did you stop wearing pullaways? When did I stop wearing what? The pullaway, which is uh, of the same variety. It's the pullaway jersey. So when they'd grab your jersey, it would just rip away. <laughs> oh, I, I never, never, never did get into never that. Never stopped. All right. No, I, I mean, I, I wear cutoff t-shirts to this day, uh, but the midriff probably stopped when my six pack stopped showing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it seems kind of, I was, I was starting to get into O-lineman territory. Uh, and that's, that's only a good look for if you did play uh, offensive tackle for a division one school. Uh, and not just uh, intramurals at Eastern Michigan. Fair enough. I still had a six, I still had a six pack then. Uh, <laughs> so September September twelfth, uh, in front of the bookstore. Yeah, store. look for us. We're because I, I I I am I want to get some. There are so many people that don't know uh, the site, so we're going to get a lot of funny looks, uh, which is kind of funny. We we get. We're kind of a big deal. Lots of people, lots of people online know us, but you'd be amazed at how many of those people that show up in a game are barely online. <laughs> so I just think that I, I want to get some of these answers. I would get, we need to get like a core group of like five, six questions. Um, and, uh, and really ratchet thing up a little bit. Man on the street, right? Get a, get a, you guys, video. you guys just lasted like an hour and 50 minutes into a podcast to basically hear a uh, a meet a content meeting uh, towards the end, <laughs> just just fucking way this went. We did it, uh, guys. We did it. Unfurl yeah. the banner now. <laughs> Mission accomplished. All right. So I do want to give what God, we're so late anyways. Who cares? But I do want to give a massive shout out to uh, to the Notre Dame basketball team uh, for for that great win over North Carolina. I don't give a shit how bad North Carolina is. Uh, it's it still it's still good. It still feels good. It doesn't matter. It, it always feels good. Beat North Carolina basketball. That was awesome. You made Roy Williams swear. I think that's a huge accomplishment. So, <laughs> uh, did, did you see the stories about Roy talking to Muffet about dealing with injuries? I, I saw the tweet from Muffet saying that she was. They had an impromptu club of people suffering through unexpectedly bad seasons. And then they tagged Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Oh, boy. He said, appreciated that, right? He he said, I don't know what you're talking about, Muffet. I'm doing fine here. And then they, he included a, a gif of a guy, like, tumbling down. a Like, he's on skis or whatever. And he's, like, tumbling down a mountain. It's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, they need that kind of comic relief. <laughs> with their, yeah, I with mean, the you got yeah, it. That's all you can do, right? Absolutely. I I wish I could handle it that with that much grace. Uh, I remember 2016 in very much a blur and screaming mode. So you mentioned that that NC State game. I was live streaming a, a Facebook live video before the game was even over, screaming about firing Brian Kelly. Uh, that's when like I did the ultimate turn, where I before that game I was like, nah, you know, ride the whip. When that game was going on, I'm like, fucking fire him. Um, but you know, since then I, I had I had changed my mind. Uh, it was definitely a a pat. But for the it, it was a, up until that end of the season when we when you just knew that they weren't going to fire him. 
So I, I'm not going to keep fucking tilting at windmills, uh, you know, over it. You know, here here's the reality we live in. And I just drank more. Was all. <laughs> so before we before we get out of here with if, if you want to touch on the basketball, if Notre Dame holds serve and they're able to get the sort of same home cooking that Florida State was able to conjure up down in Tallahassee and they're able to snatch that game against Florida State. Are they in the tournament? No. As just a 10 lo- well, no, so here's the thing. I, if they're able to hold serve against bottom feeder Miami, boss bottom feeder Boston mm, at the same level sort of tangentially, um Boston College, um not particularly good bottom feeder Wake Forest. So here's the remaining schedule. There's Miami at home, Boston College Chestnut Hill, Wake Forest at Winston-Salem, Florida State at home and Virginia Tech at home. None of those teams no. are particularly good. If if Notre Dame is able to pick up that game against Florida State, if they can shock the world and beat Florida State as a ten loss team, can Notre Dame get in? No, no, they st- they still have to win one or two games in the ACC tournament. I mean, I don't think they're. I, I, well, they'll, I think they'll right win now, one, but they won't get past two. At twenty one and five, you don't think that Notre Dame could, or twenty one at twenty one and ten, you don't think Notre Dame could get into the tournament? Nope. Okay, I, you know, I disagree quite a bit on that one. I think they definitely can. Uh, it, it's just going to come down to what the committee is looking at. ACC is a weak league; they're only going to take four teams. That's very true. Notre Dame's not even the top. No, they're not going to be the top. Yeah, I mean that. That's of all the bubble teams, killer. their their non conference strength of schedule is the absolute worst. Yep. I think the last time I looked, they had the Big Ten having eleven teams in. <sighs> the whole Big Ten's going. Yeah, and I mean. This is a very weird season in college basketball because Dayton might be the best team in college basketball. What about so that's what makes this? That's, that's that's what makes this season so frustrating for Notre Dame fans. Like even in a you're in an extremely down ACC year, and you have all these close losses. I mean, I mean, turns just a few of those around, and Notre Dame's battling for the top of the ACC, regardless of the beatdown they took, uh, you know, down in Cameron. I mean, it's that's what's so frustrating about this year. I mean, not to mention that you, you know, after the season, there's no more John Mooney, there's no more Jawan Durham, who Dick Vitale just could not understand why Jawan Durham doesn't play more. He said that was the only time Jawan Durham scored 20 points all season long. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, that's it's a hard one. I mean, if they, if they win all those games and they go on, and I if and if they win two games in the ACC tournament tournament after winning out the rest of the regular season i could see i could see a path for them into the into the tournament but that's a lot i mean you're asking a lot there because yeah, i mean a lot. florida state alone is a big roadblock but then when you you still have to go on the road i mean boston college beats you at home so regardless of i mean you still have to go on the road uh and that's not it's easy. not easy in college basketball, especially with uh, officials the way that they call games on the road. Yeah, no, that's well, true. They're not they're not out of it yet. I mean, obviously, I mean, right? You, but you can win the ACC tournament. And I, I joked about that a little, not joked, but I mean, I said that before we even started recording. I'm like, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, something happens to Duke in the tournament. I, every other team in the ACC, Notre Dame can beat. I mean, they should have beat Florida State. 
Uh, well, my... I mean, it's not like they didn't. It's not like they lost to Boston College at home, right? You'd never lose to Boston College at home. <laughs> never, never. It wasn't the first time in like what eight, eighteen get. Yeah. How many games in a row did Notre Dame have on BC before that? Ugh. It's a dumb Ugh. loss. Very dumb loss. I mean, they've lost outside of I mean, they, it, they lost it, to Duke by lost... thirty four, right? You and then every Indiana, other. I mean, well, every other game that they've lost in the uh, big the ACC has been by a combined score of 26 points. So every other loss. So outside of the Duke loss, which was by 34, um, the other seven losses outside that one have been by a can you know a combined um, you know 26 points. That's it. That's insane. Absolutely insane. All right, we're gonna wrap this up. Jude, you don't have anything left, do you? Other than uh, than Father Hesburgh possibly might have <laughs> resurrected. <laughs> no, I don't. I I the only thing I want to say real quick is uh, I was away this weekend, so I didn't get a chance to celebrate the Notre Dame uh, women's lacrosse team beating number two Northwestern in their own home. So big win for the ladies. So good job on the women's lacrosse front. And, I was wondering uh, why there wasn't an article up on One Foot Down. Yeah. about this giant women's lacrosse win. I well, saw that, that come across. The foremost expert on women's lacrosse. There's there's your answer, and I apologize to all all uh, oh. ten, 10 readers. So, <laughs> Brett, did you got anything anything to, to go out on? I'm just uh, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> yeah, those those dime fines are uh, are pretty harsh nowadays for me. All right, that's all I got. Uh, other than again. Rate and review. Uh, l- let us know if you like these two-hour-long episodes. I know there's some guys out there who are going to wake up in the morning and see this uh, their podcast downloads and be like, fucking yeah. And then there's going to be others that are like, oh, dear Jesus. Uh, so maybe it's a little bit of both. Uh, but please rate and review. Leave that review on Apple Podcasts, and I will read it on the site. So for all of us at, uh, on the OFD Podcast, go Irish.